you know, today is Vision Sunday, and um, as you know, we're, we're a church, and, and we're part of a, a global family of churches called Every Nation, and we meet in many different parts around the world, and we have a, a, an incredible vision to reach campuses, to reach uh, nations, and our, and our vision is we want to plant churches in every nation. We want to be have campus ministries on every campus, every campus in Africa. Amen. Um, and so, so that's our goal. And today is Vision Sunday. And I, and I, you know, I would just love this morning to preach about missions and nations and like that we have to go. I mean, look how cool everybody looks this morning. I don't know what nation you're representing, but, uh, I mean, we've even got, you know, Lesotho blankets up here in the front. You know, this is cool, you know. But this is the heartbeat of what we are as a church. To, to go to nations, to celebrate nations, and to plant in nations. And I wanted to preach on that this morning. But, you know, we're also a church that's, that's radical about discipleship. We, we don't believe in just making converts. We believe in raising disciples. And so we have connect groups, and we have BFCs and DMCs and all these things as well. And I, and I really wanted to preach this morning about discipleship and the need for discipleship and the, and the value for discipleship. But then I got thinking, you know, we're also a church that wants to make an impact. And, and, and we want to impact our city with the love of God. And, and there's so much stuff going on in our nation. You know, there's corruption. There's a massive gap in leadership in, in, our, in our nation. And there's this whole land issue. And we need to talk about that thing, you know. And we need to have a biblical response for that thing. So, so there's all these issues. And I'd love to, to preach into nation building this morning. Um, but as I was, as I was waiting on, on God for, for what we should talk about this morning, I felt that he was nudging me in a, in a, in a, in a different direction. Um, I felt him nudging me towards prayer and the importance of prayer, and in particular, the importance of praying for the lost. And as I began to wait on him more, there would list these little confirmations, little signs along the last week or so that just kind of said, Wayne, this is what I want to do. And then last night when I was, you know, just kind of waiting on him even more and just saying, Lord, is this really what you want to do tomorrow? I, I got a, a message from a bonky saying, hey, guess what? The global day of prayer is tomorrow. And uh, I didn't even know that until that moment. I completely forgot that today is actually the global day of prayer. And it was like the last little confirmation that I needed from the Lord to say, we need to talk about prayer. We need to talk about prayer this morning, church. And in particular, we need to start praying for the lost. I, I don't know about you, but when I, when I think about our church, and I think about the next, whatever, 10 years of this church, and, and our different expressions on the different campuses, and, and here in Gravel, when I close my mind and I start to pray for this church, there's something that I see, and that is people. I see people, I see people, I see people. I see thousands upon thousands of people. And I know that God has called us as every nation Durban to harvest the city. He has called us and positioned us and commissioned us to pull in the harvest. And so my message this morning, I really feel, is really from the throne of God this morning to say, every nation, Durban, wake up, look out, and see that the harvest is ready. It is ripe, and you need to start laboring for the harvest because you are my harvesters. On DUT, on Howard College, on Westville, here in Gravel, you are commissioned for harvest. There is a harvest of souls that God has for us in the city. 
It is a massive harvest. You know, in John 4, Jesus was talking with the woman at the well, and, and then she ran into the city, and she went and told everybody about this man who told her everything about her that she didn't even know. And out of the city came hundreds of people come pouring out to find where is this man. And Jesus was sitting with these disciples, and all these disciples saw was another crowd. And they're like, Jesus, you need to eat. You know, there's another crowd coming. And Jesus says, chill. Okay, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Look, the harvest is ripe and ready for the taking. Don't say it's, oh, it's still four months to the harvest. Look, the fields are ripe for harvest. And he who gets busy in the fields gathers fruit for eternal life. And I really feel like this is the cry of God for us as a church this morning. It's, and I really want you to know this is coming from heaven this morning. Lift up your eyes, every nation Durban. Look out at the city and don't just see people and different cultures and, and, and traffic and don't see that. See the harvest. Look around your residence. Look around your campus. There is a harvest. There are thousands upon thousands of people that we as a church are commissioned to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have an incredible opportunity to do it. And I believe that God is calling us to it and he's positioning us to it and he's rallying us up to do it. And I, and I pray you hear that this, this is my job this morning. I'm here as, as a cheerleader, okay, on behalf of our leader Jesus to say, every nation Durban, be ready. The harvest is here. The harvest is here. You need to be ready and you need to start laboring for the harvest. My, my job this morning is to inspire you to pray like you've never prayed before. My job this morning is to equip you on how to pray for the lost. I'm here to inspire you to pray <laughs> because God's called us to pray. And that is the labor that we need to do in order to see the harvest come in. And I know when, when pastors start talking about prayer, people start yawning. <laughs> and we go, yeah, we pray, you know. Have you noticed that prayer is like the hardest thing for Christians to do? I've been a Christian for 15 something years now, and I've noticed that the prayer meeting is the most unsupported prayer meeting in the whole church. It's true. It's true. And it's not just us, it's, it's every church that the, the prayer meeting is, why is there such an attack to pray? How many of you got up this morning and you looked at the time and there was time to pray, but the bed was so warm. And you felt the pillow going, don't leave me. <laughs> and then there, was a, then there were like those thousand other thoughts that came to mind. And then you had to check your, your, your Facebook or your whatever, or whatever was beeping and trying to get your attention. Have you noticed that it's hard for us to pray? Why is there such an attack against prayer? Why is it that it's so hard to get us together to pray? Get us up to pray. Stay up late to pray. Why is this the thing that in our lives we often, when you start talking about prayer, we either yawn or we start to feel guilty. Like, eesh. How many of you feel guilty about prayer? Come on, be honest this morning. Like, you know you should pray more. Come on, come on, look around. <laughs> it's all of us. We know we should. We know we should, but we don't. We never find the time. We get distracted. Things pop up. Things interfere. Why do we get? Why is there such an attack against fear? I mean, prayer. What? Where did that come from? 
Yes, well, that's how we attack fear, with prayer. Thank you, darling. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's because it's our weapon. It's because it is the most powerful thing that we can do. It's because when we start to unite and when we start to pray, things start to happen. The kingdom starts to come. The lost come pouring in. The sick get healed. The blind open their eyes. We see transformation in society. People get healed. People, families get restored. We start to see uh, hospitals starting, schools starting, and missions going to other nations. It all is, starts with prayer. And so I want to say this morning, we have a bodacious vision. But if we have a bodacious and a big vision and its reach and its disciple and its impact, all the more should we pray. The bigger the vision, the bigger the prayer life we should be. And so once you nudge the person next to you this morning and say, man, you need to pray. You need to pray. Father, we, we give you this time this morning. And in the short moments that we have, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take this moment and change us. I pray that every single one of us would hear your, your cry this morning, your call to our knees, and that every single one of us would obey and respond in multiple different ways. Amen. John chapter 4. This is where we are this morning. John chapter 4 and verse 38. This is where Jesus has just said now, look, the fields are ripe for harvest. And I just, you just, can you just imagine Jesus for a moment? Here's another crowd of people. When was the last time you saw a crowd? I don't know, yesterday, soccer stadium, in the mall, wherever you saw a crowd. Okay, so there's this crowd, and Jesus looks at this crowd, and he, he, like, can, I don't know if, if there's any farmers here. I'm not a farmer. Like, when I plant stuff, it doesn't really grow, all right? <laughs> I, I'm still working that one out, all right? But like a farmer, if he, he plants, the, can you imagine him laboring hard and, and planting and plowing the ground and sowing seed and watering that seed and tending it and making sure, and eventually it grows into this beautiful field of wheat uh, or, or trees just laden with fruit or vines just brewing just with grapes. And, and I, I can just imagine a farmer looking at that moment and, and just beaming with like, pride and joy and just like look at what what has come from that dusty soil look at what's come from my labor look what's come from my work in the same way jesus looked at this crowd of people and he saw a harvest and he beamed over it and he was like this is this is going to fill up heaven a farmer says this is going to fill up the barns this is going to fill up my house this is going to fill you know this is going to provide jesus said this is going to fill up heaven that's how he looked at people. And we need to have those eyes. In John 4, verse 38, he said, I sent you, talking to his disciples, to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. And he looks up that word labor, and it, and it really means labor. <laughs> it means work. It means hard work. Others have worked hard, and you have entered into their labors. What was he saying to his disciples? He was saying, guys, you, you're having a lucky moment here. You're having a moment where you are stepping into where other people have been working so hard. And you are going to reap. And, and you're going to see this harvest coming. All these souls coming into the kingdom. The point that I want to highlight here is this. 
is that there is no harvest without labor. There's no harvest without planting and plowing and watering. There's no harvest without, you know, a farmer getting down and and getting into that soil and, and turning it up and putting seed into it. There's no harvest unless that work is done. And it's the same in the spiritual context as well. There will be no harvest of souls unless there is a labor that you and I enter into as well. And it's amazing that when you start to study history, what you see is that wherever people labor in prayer, you see incredible harvest come. I don't know if any of you are familiar with a place called the Hebrides in northwest Scotland. It's just the northwest part of Scotland. It's the Hebrides. And it's called the Hebrides. And, and really, it's just you know, a whole lot of islands off, off, the, off the coast of Scotland. And, um, and, and, and many years ago, there were two old gorgos. All right, and I can say that because uh, it was Peggy and Christine, and and Christine was 82 years old, and she was bent over with arthritis, and her sister, um, what was it, Peggy, was 84 years old and blind, and the only thing that these two old gogos could do was day and night pray, and they loved to pray. They would sit in their house and pray. They would make a fire at night and they'd sit around the fire and they would pray late into the night. They had a burden on their hearts because in church at that time in Scotland and in the area that they were in, there were no young people coming into church. The churches were getting older and people getting older and they were starting to lose members and, 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 and things were not going well for the church. in that. And so they had a burden to pray for young people to fill the churches. There's a scripture in Isaiah 44 where it promises that God will pour out His Spirit on our descendants and He'll pour out a blessing on our young people and they will grow and they will, they will flourish and they will say, we are of the Lord. And they took that scripture and they believed God had given it to them and they, and they laid it down before the Lord and day and night, these two old goggles prayed and prayed this word of God over their city, over their area, over their nation. Until one night, one of them had a vision. I can't remember which one it was. (laughs) And she had a vision and she saw young people pouring into the church. There was a breakthrough that was attained in the spirit. She immediately asked for the minister to come to their house. Um, She couldn't call him at that time on on the phone. So, So they sent for the minister and the minister came around and said, Ladies, what can I do for you? And they said, We've seen a vision. God is going to break through. There's breakthrough coming, and we need to get ready for the breakthrough. And he said, well, what shall we do? And she said, well, you need to pray. Go gather people and start to pray. So he, the minister gathered a whole bunch of people, and the, the two old gogos said, listen, you're going to pray twice a week, and you're going to start praying at 10 p.m. in the barn. We will pray here around our fire at the same time. 10 p.m. we're going to meet together in the spirit. You're going to pray there and gather with the the rest of the leaders in the church. And we're going to pray here at 10 p.m. And we're going to finish at 3 a.m. Five hours we're going to pray twice a week. And they began to pray. And they began to pray. And they began to pray. For weeks they met at 10 p.m. in this barn. And all the people came together and they would cry out to God. And they would cry to God for, for the salvation of their friends, their families, and for God's kingdom to advance. Until one night, God shook that barn with His presence. The power 
of God fell in the barn. And that, by the way, is the, the name of my sermon, when, when God shakes the room. Okay? God shook the room that they were in. Immediately they knew they had received everything that God had promised. And they called a, a mission organization called Faith Mission in Edinburgh, and they asked for them to send an evangelist and send him now. They sent a man by the name of Duncan Campbell. And he arrived, and his goal was to stay for 10 days and just to help them. Because what's going on? What's, what's all this fuss? You know, let me come and see. The first day that he arrived, the church was packed like it had never been packed before. That meeting went, that church service went till 4 a.m. the next morning. Why? Because the power of God shook that church. People were getting woken up in their beds at midnight and knew they had to be at church and would run across fields and run down streets to get to the church. They didn't know why, who, how. Nobody knocked on their door. There was no poster. There was no SMS. There was no Facebook event. There was nothing, but they knew they had to be there. Some of them couldn't make it to the church without falling on their knees in the streets and in the fields and amongst the rocks and begin to repent and weep for their sins. What happened thereafter was that Duncan Campbell eventually stayed for two years, traveling all through the Hebrides, and there was mass revival throughout the Hebrides. Churches grew like 500%. People were getting saved and healed. Meetings were going to late at night. And it all started with two gogos who knew that things weren't right and that the answer was to pray. That, my friends, is the power of prayer. You know, the wonderful thing about prayer is it's a great leveler. You don't have to be the most articulate. You don't have to be a certain age. You don't have to be anything to pray. Every single one of us can pray. You know, in the Bible, we see one man, Nehemiah, begin to pray day and night for Jerusalem, which was lying in ruins. The Bible said that he cried out every day and every night in prayer for Jerusalem. And the result of his prayers was that God moved in the heart of a pagan king and gave Nehemiah everything that he needed, money, gold, servants, free passage, soldiers to go with him, people to be released, everything so that an entire city could be rebuilt because one man got on his knees and cried out for the purpose of God to be fulfilled in his time. One man praying day and night. We see this this pattern throughout Scripture. This is how the church was actually started. (laughs) The church was started with a prayer meeting. Jesus ascended and said, I'm going to send you to every nation and you are going to be my witnesses in every nation. But don't go anywhere. Go to the upper room and pray. And so in Acts chapter 1, it says that they committed themselves steadfastly to pray. And they prayed. They didn't know how long or what was going to happen. They had no imagination of the Holy Spirit coming. They knew Jesus had promised something, but they didn't know what it was going to be like. They didn't know anything like that. They just began to pray and cry out to God until God shook the room that they were in. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 people came running to find out what happened and got saved that day. Can you imagine? We're, this is a 300-seater this morning. Times 10 came running 
to that room where God had shaken it with his power to find out what's going on. And they got saved that day. That's a big altar call. <laughs> We're going to need a lot of people to follow up after that. Yeah? But isn't it, don't, don't you dream about the days people run to church? You know, there's a wonderful prophecy in Isaiah where it talks about God's heart for the church, where it says, my church will be established as the highest of the mountains and people will flow to it, saying, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord that we may hear his ways and walk in, hear his word and walk in his ways. That God wants his church to be, doesn't want it, want it to be there. It's so hard for us that we go and have to knock on every single door and everything. I, I really believe that there is a, there's a, there's an opportunity for us to cry out to God to the point where he might shake the room and people would actually come pouring up to his house, led by his spirit, come pouring into his house. And I'm not saying we don't have to go out and do that. We need to do that. But I'm just saying the power of prayer, ladies and gentlemen, can change everything. It can make the work of evangelism so much better, the work of discipleship so much easier. You know, when we start to pray, we start to flow in the anointing of God and we've we start to tap into strength we didn't even know we had. What if you can say amen? amen. Cool. Just needed one. <laughs> in, in the USA, about 220 years ago, just after the, the U.S. Revolution, there was, uh, America was in, in a terrible state. Okay, after the revolution, uh, there was about 5 million citizens. And at that time, there were... 300,000 confirmed drunkards (laughs) out of 5 million people. In fact, alcohol was such, was destroying society at levels we we can't imagine. Can you imagine like, what is that? That's almost like 10%. You know, that's close. That's like, I don't know, 6-7% of the population were confirmed alcoholics. Um, The streets were so unsafe at night. There wasn't, nobody could go out. Bank robberies were happening like every single day. Crime was rampant. The, the, it was literally like, it felt like society was falling apart at the seams. And the church at that time was also falling apart. In fact, the churches were closing down and denominations at that time, this is 1790, at that time denominations were even talking to each other about merging I mean, at that time, denominations were like, we don't know you. You Baptists, we Presbyterians, we, you know, we don't know. They were even talking about merging because their numbers were so small. The Bishop of New York retired or he resigned from his job because he hadn't seen a convert in 14 years. Not one, co- one uh, convert in 14 years. So he resigned and he got another job. This is the Bishop of New York. It, things were so bad at that time in the States. Even on the university, and actually the universities were the worst at that time. They did a poll in Harvard. And they polled the student body and they found that there was not one Christian believer in Harvard at that time. They did a poll at Princeton and they found only two believers at that time. In Dartmouth, they, they were burning Bibles because they believed that it was, was all fairy tales. So they actually had public bonfires where they were burning Bibles. And Christians had to meet in secret and keep their minutes of their meetings in code, lest they got caught. There were student riots, <laughs> sound familiar, <laughs> happening on all those university campuses. Um, at some of the universities, they, would, they actually had a, a play where they mocked the Last Supper of Jesus. 
at, at one of the universities. That, that's how bad things were at that time. And so with all that against them, the church decided the only thing that we can do is pray. <laughs> and so what they did was they started pray cells. And they got people in every church to pray at particular times, in particular days. And eventually they had a network, the whole of the America and all the churches bought in because things were so bad. In fact, the chief justice said this about uh, the church. He said, the church is too far re- re- uh, gone to be redeemed. I don't know if you know Thomas Paine. He predicted in 1790, Thomas Paine predicted this. He said, Christianity will be forgotten in 30 years. That's what Thomas Paine predicted, okay, at that time. That's how bad things were. They got together and they started to pray. And they prayed and they prayed long and they prayed hard. And eventually, out of that prayer, revival came that shook America and the world. In fact, they prayed so much and revival came that that people started, pubs started closing down. Alcoholics were miraculously delivered when they came into church. They fell down in the presence of God. They repented of their sins and immediately they were delivered. Families started to be restored. Uh, churches started to grow. In fact, out of that time, that was the second great awakening, what people call the second great awakening. Out of that time, the modern missionary movement was started. Sunday schools started in that time. <laughs> Bible societies, public education, and even the abolitionist movement that ended slavery came out of that revival. Dr. Edwin Orr says the following. He says, there is no revival where there is no prayer. Sidlow Baxter, a great revivalist, at 85 years of age said the following. He said, I have pastored only three churches in more than 60 years of ministry, we've had revival in every one, and not one of them came as a result of my preaching, though he was a great preacher. They came as a result of the membership entering into a covenant to pray until revival came, and it did come every time. Can you imagine what would happen if we were to covenant ourselves to pray in our different locations and in our campuses. And we were going to pray for one thing and until revival came. And we wouldn't stop until we see that happen. Can you imagine if God shook this room? You know, in, in, in the church in, in Acts, when they started, God shook the room. And when things got tough, they started getting death threats. They came back to the room and they prayed long and hard. In Acts 4 verse 31, it says this. It says, And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. Again, the room was shaken. Whenever they felt a need, they came back to the room and they prayed until God shook the room and they got what they needed and they went out and did what God had called them to do. The faith mission that sent Duncan Campbell also started like this. It says the following. This, this is one of the reports from the people who started. It says, some people gathered to seek God in prayer each day after work. Sometimes they prayed right through the night until dawn. A day came. Can you say the day came? The day came when the very room was shaken. As in the days of the early church, and we were filled with the Holy Spirit, with joy unspeakable and full of glory. When God shakes the room, 
the world changes. How is it that we think we can do this without God? How do we think we can plant churches and do missions and, and, and have things without God? How is it that there's somehow there's this pride that creeps in that thinks we can do a meeting for God, we can reach out without praying, have connect group without praying, doing something for God without praying, without getting on our knees and crying out to God? What is it with us that we feel like, like we don't need this thing called prayer? When history has proven to us, it's the very it's the secret sauce, man. It's the thing that makes us th- Christianity walk so exciting. It's what I don't know about you, but this is this is the thing that 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 makes this thing a joy and not a work and what a, not a labor. And a lot of us are leaders in this room, and a lot of us are leading ministries and connect groups and that sort of thing. Listen, it will be hard. It will be tough. It will be difficult if we do it in the flesh. If we want to go out and reach souls on our campus, it's going to be so hard to do it in our flesh. It's going to be so hard to get all our eloquence right and get all the, the, the questions we have, you know, all the, the answers to the questions people have and get everything, the skills right. It's going to be so hard to do that. But if we pray, I can tell you now it's going to be amazing. I remember one evening in the city, we were at a, at a hotel uh, which was turned into a residence a couple of years back. And there was this massive bash happening. You know, students, you know those bashes. You know, it was just like the room was shaking, but not with the glory of God. You know, it was, it was, and we, and I went up and I was going to go meet a few of the guys who were meant to be having connect group and we were walking down this passage and the passage was full of smoke and there were bottles everywhere and the, this music was coming out and people were like raving in this room. It was just this wild party and something inside of me was just breaking. I was just like, God, this is just not how it should be. This is not, do you want me to go and turn the hi-fi off and start preaching Jesus? What do you, <laughs> this white boy in the middle of town, you know, <laughs> ruining the party, you know. I was just like, Lord Jesus, if you want me to do that, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it, you know. And, and I went into the, the room where we were gathered for, for connect group and, um, and I said, guys, this is just, this can't happen. We need to pray. And we got down on our knees and we began to repent for the sin that was happening. We repented for their ignorance. We repented. We cried out for their souls. And just then, there was a knock at the door. And one of the young men who was in the party came into the room and fell on his knees and gave his life to Jesus right there. And he became one of our leaders and great disciple makers on the campus. Um, what happens when we pray? Why, why do we feel like we can do this with just a God test and not without the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Church, we need to pray. We have got to pray. Prayer is the labor that produces the harvest. Can you look at somebody this morning and tell them that prayer is the labor that produces the harvest? Why is that? Well, I want to share with you just three scriptures. All right? And then we're going to pray. Three scriptures, I want to show you this so you, so you understand, so that you're equipped this morning. It says in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4 that the God of this age, talking about Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Have you ever wondered why they just can't see what we can see? Isn't it frustrating? 
that they're living their lives and they can't see that they're made in the image of God. They can't see that God made this world around them. They can't see that love is of highest value. They can't see that righteousness is what we should be living our lives like. They can't see because they've been blinded by spiritual powers. There are spiritual powers that were blinding people from seeing what, what, we are, what we carry. It says in 2 Timothy 2 that they are captive to Satan. The devil has taken them captive, so they, they're bound in spiritual bondage. They're captives. They're prisoners to do his will. So when we see people who are not far from Christ, what we're looking at is we see people who are captives. They're slaves to something. I don't know about you, but I have a thing against slavery. Slavery is not a nice thing. Typically, when we look at people in sin, we, 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 we scoff them. We think, ka, look at these people. Look what they're doing with their lives, wasting their lives. They're actually slaves to a terrible master who's bound them to do terrible things. And that should make us want to set them free. It says that in 2 Ephesians 2 that they are dead in their sins. So if you look at the the condition of lost people, what is the condition of lost people? Is that they're blind, captives, and dead in their sins. So I want you to see that, that no amount of reasoning, no amount of rationalism, no fancy God test, no anything that's not anointed by God, that's not coated in prayer, that's not covered in prayer, that's not where God hasn't gone before us, is going to do anything good with blind, dead captives. It's not going to do any good. Salvation is a miracle done by the hand of God. Jesus said this, nobody can come to the Father, to me, unless the Father draws them. In other words, unless God intervenes in the Spirit, unless there's a releasing that takes place, unless those blind eyes are open, unless there's some spiritual influence or transaction or some sort of anointing, we won't see salvation. It's a move. It's an intervention of God. And so we have Jesus commissioning us, go preach the gospel in all the world. And we think we go out, we can do it. But he also said, pray. Nobody can come to me unless the Father draws them. And so we need to pray and then preach the gospel. We need to pray and then be witnesses. We need to pray if we want to see the anointing of God on any of our labors, church. We can do nothing in the flesh. We can do nothing in our own strength. Of course, all of this would only really happen unless we have a heart for the lust, amen? And we need to have a heart for the lust. It should burden us. You know, I was reading a book by Ed Silvosa, and, and he said, you know, he became a Christian, and he got on with becoming a disciple and living his life for God, and at some point he noted that the joy of his salvation had gone. And he felt like his relationship with God had just become so dry, and, and he was like, well, God, are you still there in my life? Anybody ever felt this before? And he speaks about, in Luke 15, Jesus told a parable about leaving 99 sheep and looking for the one that's lost. <laughs> you know what Jesus does? He says, he comes and he rescues us. We're like that lost sheep. Amen. And he brings us back. And when he picks us up, it's amazing. We, we spoke, uh, some of those testimonies spoke about just the love of God through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When he catches us, 
and brings us. That closeness, that intimacy that we have with Jesus is incredible. I don't know if you can still remember the day. We, I remember the day He rescued me. He rescued me and saved me and pulled me out of my darkness and put me into His church. And He, and he, and he like, just imagine a, a, a shepherd carrying a sheep. He put me in a church. He gave me friends. He put me under the Word. He gave me the Bible. He was around me. I was asking Him questions. He was there. He was there. And, and then there came a point where I noticed... It almost felt like he wasn't there. And I was like, Jesus, where are you? This is Ed Silvosa. And Jesus said, remember when I told the parable of the 99? And he leaves the 99 and he goes for the one. Well, you're okay now. I'm, I'm going to go for the one now. I'm going to go for the one so you can come with me. And, and you know what the, typically the church says? Okay, Jesus, you go. <laughs> but he leaves. Who are we? We're the 99. He leaves us, why? To go and look for the last. And if you're looking for the closeness that you had, the joy of your salvation, if you feel like it's been lost, church, let me tell you something. It will be found when you start to align with the things that value God, and that is the last. When you start to commit yourself to the last, when you sign up for the Just One Challenge and say, you know what, God, I want to see just one of my friends come to you this year. I just want to see just one of my family members get saved. You align yourself with that. Guess what? You put yourself with Jesus on mission. <laughs> and the closeness and the joy and everything is still there because it's where Jesus is. Okay. You know what? There was the best testimony I heard this year was our DMC class. They went out for mission one night. They came back with such joy. I could see their faces were beaming. People gave their lives. It was, it was thrilling. Why? Because they were with Jesus. They were with Jesus doing what Jesus does, and that's reaching the last. I've got a small video clip. I know you've seen it before, A.V., but, but can we just watch this and allow God just to minister to us as, as we watch it? <clears throat> can we stand to our feet this morning? Um, can you... Door, if you wouldn't mind. Can you take a moment this morning and, and think about how you could respond to this word this morning? What is this word? This word is a, it's a call to pray. It's a call to cry out to God for the lust. It's a call to cry out for the harvest that is ours. I really believe he's commissioned us for harvest, that there's a great harvest awaiting us. But we have to get ready as a church and we have to pray. And maybe this means you need to commit in your personal life to praying more. Maybe you could commit 20 minutes a day, half an hour a day, an hour a day, just to cry out for your neighborhood, your race, your family, your just ones. What could you do in your own personal life? Or maybe, maybe there's a prayer meeting you know that you need to go to, <laughs> that you haven't been going to, you need to pray. Maybe, maybe you need to start a prayer meeting. And a prayer meeting is just you and somebody else, okay? Maybe you need to start something where you live, where, where you are, with your family. I don't know. What, what can you do to gather people and begin to pray like this? There is a commission from heaven this morning to say, will you pray? Will you begin to labor 
Will you put in the work? Because the harvest is ripe. It's ready. Once you've made just a commitment between you and the Lord of what you're going to do to pray, how you can pray, I want you to grab somebody next to you. And then I want us just to have a moment this morning where we actually, as a church, join hands with with somebody else this morning and and we begin to pray for the lust in our lives. And and can we do that now this morning? Can you can you just grab somebody and let's let's begin to pray and trust God for their lives. Come on. Let's do that.